There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to this On The Continent Transfer Special, your definitive guide to the news across Europe. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this Show Me The Money Transfer Special, for what it's worth, the Inter-Lukaku love affair continues. Don't call it a comeback, but can they do a deal? Meanwhile, a new Inter-affair begins, but is Hugo Lloris a keeper? And who else is falling for Inter in this summer of Amore? And where there's money, there's football. We're tracking the latest big names from the top leagues in Europe to make their exodus to Saudi. Andy, can we start with Inter? Because going back a couple of months now, when they faced Manchester City in the Champions League final, it was plain to see the discrepancy between the two clubs, not least financially and economically. And I remember you talking Mm. uh, at length about this. In fact, you were very concerned about Inter's finances going forward. But now they seem to have opened up the checkbook. What's been the difference? Yeah, I think it's um, a, a checkbook with a, f- a few little stops on it. Um, but but you're right, Dotton. Um, that run, as as Nicky Bandini pointed out at the time, to the Champions League final has changed things for them. I, I mean, they've made 
somewhere between 80 and 100 million euros more than they thought they would. So they've got a little bit more in the budget than uh, they thought they, they, they would have. Um, there's the Saudi element to it, which we'll come back to later on, I'm sure, in depth. But f for starters, we can say that Marcelo Brozovic is, is, is gone. That has saved them in the short term from having to sell Nicolo Barella, who, of course, was being strongly linked to a, a Premier League move earlier in the, the summer as well. And with the possible sale of Andrea Onana or expected sale of Andrea Onana coming up as well, there's a little bit more. I mean, we talked, didn't we, Dotton, like going back to um, probably the time around the Champions League final, that that would probably be... Romelu Lukaku's into Swan Song. That how would they bring him back? Were they convinced to bring him back? I mean, he did start scoring goals in the home stretch of the season, as if he'd woke up one night in a cold sweat, saying, "Oh my God, if I don't start scoring some Serie A goals, we're going to have to go back to Chelsea." And things changed a little bit from there. But still, if Inter's um, financial position didn't change a little bit, now of course they've still got that other stuff coming up, like the the, the huge. Um, several hundred million euro loan that they've got to pay back next year. But in the short term, it means there's some room for manoeuvre. Miguel, um, we'll, we'll talk about Lukaku in a second in that love affair. But I suppose the one uh, bit of transfer news that we can update our listeners on is this Andre Nana deal from Inter to Manchester United. As we speak, it still ain't a done deal. There was a gap between what Inter wants uh, and what Manchester United are prepared to offer, but they seem to have gotten a bit closer and it looks like mm, nearly there, nearly there as we speak. Um, how difficult has this been? Well, I mean, the first thing that should be said is that there's a widespread expectation that this deal will be done. Uh, they're not there yet, but I don't think there's much um, doubt about it get, it, it happening. Uh, but that isn't to say there isn't some negotiation uh, that needs to happen now. So as recently as Saturday, the word we were hearing from inside and close to negotiations, all that, whatever sort of transfer reporting phraseology you want to use, <laughs> uh, was basically that there needs to be a compromise on price from both sides or or, or maybe more from from one of them. Now, Inter at the moment just absolutely aren't budging. I suppose that's related to their financial situation. And I think there's also been a, been a little bit of kind of um, game playing and leveraging the situation because obviously I mean, you would immediately think that the De Gea announcement weakens United's hand in this regard because suddenly there's much more of a need. So while I have absolutely no doubt this deal will get done, uh, it might still require a bit of kind of back and forth in terms of negotiation. But on that, on that, from that perspective as well, I mean, obviously it, it's always a shame in this sense when a team that gets to a Champions League final like this actually starts to immediately lose players. And obviously Inter, as we've just discussed, the situation that there's a lot of external factors there as well. But it's interesting, just from speaking to a few people who kind of work with Inter, there's suddenly this, this sudden chip. I mean, yeah, like, there was almost a sense getting to the Champions League final that could be a bit of a last hurrah for a team, a bit like, say, 2010. But instead now, just through a little bit of, through that run, as Andy's mentioned, and uh, through a little bit of kind of clever um, trading, there's a feeling now they're actually building quite a strong squad again. They might be able to get through this summer quite actually in maybe a, a better shape than they had been. And that, of course, comes in this kind of ongoing, I don't want to say vacuum in Italian football, but as brilliant as Napoli were last season, there's no guarantee they'll be the same again. And there's a chance to win a title, maybe. I think that's exactly it, Miguel. I think you look at it 
and Inter have sensed an opportunity to take a chance domestically. Now, they expected to be a title challenger at the beginning of last season, and they weren't. I think it's been given to Simone Inzaghi pretty square. We expect you to go and at least be close to winning a, uh, the Serie A title next season with the sense that um, Juventus have, have got a long way to, to, to come back. Of course, there's the possibility that they might be excluded or they probably will be excluded from European football next year. So um, Juventus, are, I would expect to be fairly strong as well. And that for Inter means you need to be decisive in the in the market. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Brozovic and the, the way his relationship with the club sort of deteriorated over last season and particularly the back half of last season when he came back from the World Cup means that the the, the Saudi offer is a bit of a godsend. He'd had an enormous raise when signing an extended contract last summer. So for them to get that off the books and to get some money in for, for, for selling him is an enormous plus. And as we said with Anana, it's, it's it's pure profit really because they got him for free last year. They've had a great season out of him and they're going to sell him on and going to get one, in fact, maybe two replacements depending on how willing Shakhtar are to, to, to play ball with their young uh, goalkeeping talent. So, you know, I, I think Inter do have an opportunity to, to do something quite interesting here. It's the financial opportunity of the summer, isn't it, with Vanana? Mm. Like you say, they got him for free. Whatever they get for him, whether they're going to get £40 million for him or closer to their £50 million asking point or whatever it might be, like you say, it's sheer profit. They, they did that so well with Vanana, it begs the question, what on earth are they doing with Lukaku, who... <laughs> as you've intimated, wanted to go anywhere else or end up anywhere else but at Stamford Bridge after this uh, summer window. Why Why has Lukaku... Um, well, they couldn't afford him before, Miguel, but why, why is he suddenly back in uh, their sights as a signing for this summer? What, what, what do they love about this guy? Well, I mean, I suppose very specifically to this time period, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's only two years since Lukaku was the king of Serie A, basically, kind of surpassed Cristiano Ronaldo. So that still persists. Uh, now, obviously, a lot of people will immediately think to the Champions League final. I think that was kind of, um, I suppose, a bit of a horror show, like his match against Croatia in the World Cup. But um, the World Cup game was seen as part of... A, just a difficult period for. I mean, the issue there for Lukaku was he he had had a few in, injury problems to start last season. Um, brought him or basically was like like any player in that sort of situation was desperate playing the World Cup. Probably just wasn't fit enough by, by the World Cup, and it was only until February that we I suppose he he began to feel like he was in kind of prime physical condition, and that started to come across in some of his performances, and particularly this relay between him and Jeko. Uh, and I think that's the main memory from Bindan. There's a, there's a feeling now, despite what happened in the final, that Lukaku can be kind of that force for them again, and a galvanising figure again, um, that he has already been at the club. Now, I suppose there's a little bit of uncertainty thrown into the mix in that he's... Uh, so, essentially, this week, that um, Pochettino is running the rule over the Chelsea squad, it, you know, wants to have a clear idea before they set off on their pre-season tour. I think the likelihood would still be that... that He's just, he's just knocked Pochettino sort of forward. Uh, interesting, I wrote a piece, a story on Monday about how Pochettino has been kind of discussing with the Chelsea hierarchy about how 
they could maybe do a little bit more experience. And like, obviously, it's a very young Chelsea squad given the signings they've made. This is their new model. But Pochino wants to balance some of that with a bit more experience. Um, and there's a few kind of interesting names I mentioned there. Lukaku is a possibility, but I just, I mean, when it comes right down to it, I still, my, my gut would be it would be back to winter. But uh, it'll probably by the end of this week we'll have clarity on that. I think that's it, really. The, the fact is that Chelsea and Lukaku in this second spell have never been truly convinced about each other. And that matters, I think, in any player club relationship. But it matters particularly in a relationship involving Lukaku because if he's less than 100% implicated, he's less than 100% fit, he's not the same player. I can't really think of another top-level player in the game where there's such a big difference. We said it before, between 90% fit and 100% fit, and 90% implicated and 100% implicated. And at this point, I don't think Chelsea have time to roll the dice and see what happens. You know, it's clear that there's a club that suits him, that fits him. There's an opportunity to get himself off the wage bill, get him off the wage bill and maybe um, even cash a little bit of money as, as well because they're, they're not going to totally give him away. So whether that's a, a loan with an obligation to, to buy or whether they, they buy him now for quite a reduced figure, we'll wait and see. But it, it sort of maintains what Inter have got. Even if Edin Dzeko's gone with the signing of Marcus Turan, they're going to have an incredible front part of the team. And what they're planning to do with the goalkeeper situation once uh, Anana is gone, um, whether it's uh, Jan Zoma or whether it's Hugo Lloris, and if they can get Anatoly Trubin uh, from Shakhtar as that sort of um, long-term replacement as well. Of course, he's, he's, he's very young. The idea is he'll be guided by a slightly um, older goalkeeper. If they can end up with everything that they want, bear in mind that they've brought in Davide Fratesi as well from um, Sassuolo, who's terrific in the Nations League, I, th- I thought, for Italy as well. That bit of extra box-to-box power in the, the middle of the park. I mean, what Inter have really needed to do is get younger. Now, obviously, Lukaku is not particularly that, but that, I think they have managed to get younger in some key areas and maintain quality experience as well. I think that's very, very hard to do. And it's something it looked like it would be almost impossible for them to do a, a couple of months ago. But they, they look as if they're, they're almost there. Well, he's prepared to take a million pound a year pay cut to stay with Inter. So that love affair certainly has got legs. Um, I think it's fascinating, whilst Miguel, you're here, to deliberate on what's going on in the goalkeeper situation uh, right across the European leagues, actually. Um, When we see Inter uh, prepared to let Andre Unana go, for all the right reasons, yeah, but nevertheless, the type of keeper he is, uh, keeper, sweeper, or whatever you want to call it, um, prepared to let him go and would be considering as a replacement somebody like Hugo Lloris, who, let's face it, is a hands-on goalkeeper at the very least. Are we seeing a change of the um, the protocol for goalkeepers? Oh, yeah. It, certainly. I mean, I can remember, what, 12 years ago when um, in those classicos between Mourinho's Madrid and... Uh, Guardiola's Barcelona when Valdez I think it wasn't early in the game and one of the ones that Barcelona won but but um, there was a mistake from Valdez early on and like it was like you know he was castigated for playing the ball out from the back and got caught but of course 
Guardiola being Guardiola, whose insistence that they do it again or keep doing it. And Valdez was, of course, more than willing to go with it because that was the philosophy now. And that has gone from something that seemed so, I suppose, you know, so, so out of kilter with the rest of football at that point, just over a decade ago, to now this is the standard. And I think it's really remarkable as well. In modern football history, I mean, I suppose in the early days, as, as positions changed and also rules were clarified, it was maybe more pronounced. But in modern football history, obviously positions go in and out of fashion all the time and like say there's always been a constant discussion about the number 10 say but because goalkeeper is so fixed a position and you know like it's not like you can arrange the rest of the team around it I can't think of another similar example where through one tactical change in the position it is it is essentially rendered a whole school of goalkeepers obsolete so if you if you can't play with your feet it's almost like as if you can't play for certainly at the top end you can't play for what 95 percent of clubs uh, so e- even if you consider david de gea where could he where could he feasibly go now because well, mo- most the, the trend among modern coaches to play is where the goalkeeper is actually now an 11th outfield player as well as the goalkeeper maybe Simeone, simeone's uh, Atletico madrid they've already got oblak and i think it's it's really fascinating in that regard just the way the game has has changed in that way, and I, I also think it did end up affecting De Gea's performance level as well because he was one of the great shot stoppers. I think, uh, like for me with De Gea, there was a clear dividing line in his career. It was the twenty eighteen World Cup where he went from Mourinho's United to playing for a Spain team. He wanted to play at the back, and it caused like a confidence crisis in that team because he just couldn't really do it. Yeah, and I think where De Gea lands is, I mean, if if, if there's ever a candidate to go to Saudi, that maybe maybe it's him. Because I don't think there's an obvious landing spot in European football for him yeah. at all, and I, th- I think the other angle of of, of that, and you, you talked about before how um, you know maybe United would take a, a, a risk by making it clear that they're going their separate ways now. But if if Ten Hag doesn't want him, he just doesn't want him. Yeah, you, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's that simple. If he's not his kind of goalkeeper, there's there's no point clouding that. Is is there whatever happens for them next? I think the other part of it is not not only do um if we're talking about spain do real madrid and barcelona and atletico already have their goalkeeping solutions he's never been rated to the same extent in yeah. spain as he was in the premier league even at his peak you know we discussed yeah. i think probably if we go back five or six years it was a common discussion in premier league circles is he the best goalkeeper in the world no one's ever had that discussion in spanish yeah, yeah. football at all Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. I'm glad that Andy mentioned Saudi Arabia as a possible destination uh, for David De Gea. Well, you say De Gea, Miguel, and I say De Gea. Let's call it quits on that one. But um, Saudi Arabia is a point of conversation when we talk about this summer transfer window. It casts an ever-increasing shadow on what's going on. And it has a consequence as well. There's a knock-on effect, isn't it? Um, With Saudi Arabia becoming a big player in this transfer windows. We saw the initial, uh, Miguel, we saw the initial sort of big star uh, names. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo and everybody else that followed him, uh, the likes of Benzema. we saw the Saudi Arabian League go for them initially, but now there seems to be another level of uh, very good players from some of the top leagues that seem to be going there now. Ruben Nevis was something of a surprise uh, for me, for example. Are we, are we, is it for real? Is this Saudi Arabian League for real? Is it sustainable in a sort of a, a long term vision? Or are we seeing. Uh, a sort of a replay of what we saw in China a few years back when there was all this money thrown into the league, loads and loads of stars left. Oscar, perhaps the most uh, memorable, um, and then disappearing into obscurity. And obviously what happened subsequently is that the economic model wasn't sustainable. I I suppose with Saudi Arabia, those kind of economic considerations don't apply, but some things must apply, Miguel. Can you you see this being a long-term thing or not? It's, I mean, as is, I suppose, the case with all modern football now, we get into bigger discussions way beyond sport. I mean, some some of this is basically dependent on the future of, you know, the, the Saudi state. And if it's, if Mohammed bin Salman is the kind of the, um, the, the, the ruler for any serious length of time, then yes, you would say this will continue because it's all part of his kind of um, grander sports washing project. The other thing to be said about that, to be fair, and one massive difference between China and Saudi Arabia, the, the people who I know who are kind of, I suppose, involved in negotiations in Saudi Arabia, have players going there, all the rest of it. 
I think it's, it can be underestimated just how vibrant Saudi Arabia's own football culture is. We are Agreed. talking about whatever, mm. whatever about the bigger discussion about the state and um, this, like this is a long-standing and proud football tradition that's come across in two, at least two, you'd say, good World Cup performances. One as long ago as '94. Now, well, I can't believe I'm saying long ago, but something in the '90s, <laughs> and when the World Cup just gone. They're one of the stronger clubs in Asia. The, the club, le- the club level, even before this, was seen as um, as quite good. Uh, and ne- and and while there is the, the sports washing element to this, that should always be acknowledged. There is also a legitimate sporting ambition about kind of I suppose improving the the the, the quality of the country's football. And it's it, it, it's why I think there will be some greater controls on the imports, but also at the moment there's a. I suppose they're trying to increase the scope of the league, and so the first, the, the current part of that now is a to bring in the superstars to get or the the biggest names possible to kind of um to to immediately make make that um stand, but then also to do what China didn't really do and have a strand of player. I mean, the way it was put to me, it's these sort of players who are probably around twenty six to thirty two, but were are never going to be really in say Europe's top. 100 players and essentially not quite a last payday but the, the sort of players would be more given to kind of a big deal at the, at the moment uh, and I think probably you know, some of Ruben Neves is maybe someone who, who fits into that but, um, but what that does I suppose it kind of it, it, it fills out the league I mean, you might call it I don't know the sort of officer class of footballer uh, to go with kind of the Saudi national products and then this top end of stars and from that perspective it does have a longer term ambition it has caused immense short-term upheaval in the European market uh, because far from actually this being an accelerator, into about, at the moment it's actually caused a massive blockage and that's for a few reasons. One, I mean, you only have to look at the actual example of the European champions, Manchester City. So this, this summer, I think, you know, our City expected or, and, or were willing to allow one of Bernardo Silva or Riyad Mahrez to go, but not both because if both go, then they... Um, then, then you have a bit of a thing. And it's unlike City that because usually all their planning is 18 months in advance. Uh, but both have really big offers on the table from Saudi Arabia. And they're waiting to see who does what to see what happens. Because, of course, another complicating factor is just the numbers involved. Um, and and that, cause that immediately changes. It affects budgets. And at the moment, the way it's been expressed to me, a lot of clubs are basically just waiting to see what happens. Because they, they, they don't... I mean... Just as even as something in terms of whatever about the transfer fees, as regards wages, the kind of dynamic has already been changed because suddenly all this money's come into the market. Yeah, and I guess that there's that always that when there's a profound change in football, there's always that, especially internationally, there's always that point where it's a, a bit frightening for the existing status mm. quo. And I think it's been most frightening, not really for the Premier League club so far, but for. The Italian clubs, from the French clubs, yeah, yeah. the ones who are sitting ducks, the ones who can't compete with that sort of money and the big clubs that are absolutely blown out of the water by that. But I think as well, what we're seeing maybe now in this second stage is not just, as, as you were saying, Dotton, players who are you know, maybe not global superstar names heading into the twilight of their career, but these players who are of every reason to believe that they could play for the best clubs in the world, but maybe aren't those sort of names and are still in the prime of their career moving. And this has a 
twofold effect. So you, you mentioned Ruben Neves. We talked about uh, Marcelo Brozovic before. It looks like Sergei Milinkovic-Savic um, heading into his late 20s, who's an incredible player, who's kind of been an anachronism in modern football, really, because his talent has never really matched to the, the needs of, of the market. So when he was his absolute... I guess peak of his value where Lazio wanted 100 million for him a couple of years ago there was no one in Italy with the means to pay it and there was no one in the Premier League with I think the understanding of quite how good he he was Um, now he's at this point where the offer that he's got from Saudi and the one that's been widely reported in the Italian press at the moment it's around about 20 million net a year now that is something like six times what he gets paid for for Lazio um, so I think that's difficult to deny one because he can take it and go and if it's rubbish just come back in a year he's still got time and he would still be uh, have plenty of his career to be a, a good player for um, one of the better teams in, in Europe I think but the other side of this we talked about getting through that that initial um, shock and bewilderment for those those clubs in say Italy and France for example for Lazio, it's, it's an incredible opportunity because Juventus were trying to piece together a deal for Milinkovic-Savic where they were trying to find a way to um, get the value of near the value of what Lazio wanted, around €40 million Euros and offering players in part exchange and all that sort of stuff. And a Saudi club can just come in and say, OK, here's your €40 million. And then all of a sudden, Lazio have got a way to... Rebuild. They've got a way to get value for a player who could go for nothing in a, in a, in a year. A player who they would like to extend, but they know they can't compete with that sort of level of money. And all of a sudden, they've got the tools for a rebuild on the table. So just as Inter have been able to unexpectedly get their house in order, maybe Lazio can, can do the same. And, you know, the, the fact is that money in football doesn't exist in a bubble. It's, it's going to strengthen someone somewhere, isn't it? So, I mean, as regards to the French and Italian league, I mean, for the moment, one of the stated ambitions of, and I wrote this at a piece uh, at the start of June, one of the stated ambitions of the Saudi Pro League is basically to be the next league after the Premier League, Mm. to uh, to have more glamour than Italy. Um, And I think that's, as you say, that, that, that would be actually a real, um, a break with history in that sense. Yeah, I mean, Dotton, when you were talking about that, like, is this sustainable long term? I think it's, it's slightly different when we compare it to China because, of course, uh, the fact is the restrictions that were brought in in China in 2019 were a reaction from the Chinese government to what was happening in the sport and really the exit of money from 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 China to to overseas players. So what they did there, and you talked about Oscar before. I mean, whoever his agent is, is genius because if you think he signed his last contract extension um, in, in in China in what summer twenty nineteen, and it got him somewhere between twenty and twenty five million euros a year, and in the autumn they put on a limit of three million net for any foreign player. And he's earning what seven times that. So, and he's still earning that money. So he's 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 done a pretty fantastic job there. But I think in terms of will it be sustainable long term? I mean, surely there's there's got to be. We know there's extraordinary wealth out there. There's there's got to be a limit. You can't fill squads with like twenty 
Marcelo Brozovic's or Sergei Milinkovic Savic's uh, earning 20 million a year. Surely there's there's got to come a point where that stops. And, and we don't know how long Saudi Arabian clubs will, will want to pay that amount of money. Although there won't be that division between club and state because club is state there. And it feels, it feels, uh, and by the way, there are Saudi spotters out there at the moment and they've spotted Paul Pogba uh, wandering the avenues and alleyways of Riyadh or wherever in Saudi over the weekend. So, well, watch this space on that one. But it does seem from what you're both saying that there will be knock-on effects or consequences. Um, and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Miguel, but it seems like the there are two tiers of consequences. There is the one tier where um, European clubs will be able to offload some of their expensive acquisitions who they can't shift, um, they'll be, as Chelsea arguably have done. But um, it, there'll be a level where you can shift some of uh, your dead wood, your expensive dead wood to Saudi Arabia. But then there'll be another level where... There will be uh, teams on a certain level in European football which are competing, actually, with Saudi Arabia rather than wanting to offload their deadwood there. In fact, Andy, you wanted to make a point first. Yeah, oh, well, I was, I was just going to say, uh, I think in terms of losing that deadwood, Miguel, it's been one of the biggest challenges for Premier League clubs in recent years. Mm-hmm. You know, Once you've got a player on a Premier League level contract and you don't want him anymore, how do you shift him? And all yep. of a sudden, that that problem is gone. So even if the, the market is waiting to see what Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabian clubs do next, in the medium term, I mean, well, in the short term for Chelsea, it's, it's a godsend. And, and one that you couldn't have imagined before. But yeah, I, I, and also I think that's from what was put to me early on uh, in this Saudi project as well, is that... It's actually it's filling a gap in the current football market. As whatever about the other is bigger plans, in that there actually there there will there seeks to become a kind of um, a convenient destination for players in their mid thirties now and on who at on massive contracts who suppose want to want to sustain a bit longer because because of what happened with China because MLS never really developed into that uh, because of the amount of constraints. Uh, now again we might be moving into a new era of MLS with Messi. But but even still, it's it's a it's a very highly regulated competition in that sense, and suddenly, uh, Saudi Arabia offers a offers a valve in the market in, in, from that perspective, uh, because what what the solution for a long time had been basically I suppose farm some players off to kind of to uh, a lot of Italian clubs, uh, legacy Italian clubs say who weren't quite at their best but while subsidising wages. But there's, yeah, there's quite a loss involved in that, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get on to some listener questions. We always welcome your contributions to OTC. Uh, you can get in touch at any time at Football Ramble, at Dotton, at Ibio, at Andy Brassel and at Miguel Delaney. A uh, couple of questions for you from our listeners, gentlemen. This one from McThomas underscore 16 on Insta. 
Can PSG force force yeah being the operative word hmm. can PSG force Mbappe to leave or are they stuck with him until next year and I suppose Miguel this goes to uh well an interview that Kylian Mbappe gave maybe unwisely who knows um to one of the French football papers earlier on this week. And it's upset not just PSG fans, but PSG players as well, including a couple of the new signings. Uh, is is Can he stay there for a season, for another season? Do they want him there? The only thing that PSG can force him is basically not pick him. Uh, and I don't think anyone sees that as any sort of realistic possibility. Um, they, I mean, it just... It, it show. I mean, I suppose from one perspective, it speaks to the level of poor planning at the club, and it was something. It's something that's been an ongoing issue, and also just the amount of power they gave Mbappe last year, without necessarily any sort of kind of. Uh, it was only like it's it's difficult not to feel now. There was such a desperation to keep him, and especially in a season where Qatar was holding the World Cup. That the, the, the potential consequences of this weren't thought through, and we're seeing that now, where they could again lose him for free, where he has so much leverage here. Uh, from what I'm told, I wrote this on Friday. At the moment, like everyone in football basically thinks that uh, Mbappe is going to go to Madrid, uh, including Madrid. But from their perspective, they're willing to. Um, they're willing to hold their nerve here because this this comes in also in the context of a real standoff between Paris Saint-Germain and Madrid where the relationships aren't great, all the more so because of the Mbappe issue itself, where Madrid don't want to give Paris Saint-Germain any money and uh, Paris Saint-Germain, the, the one thing they want least of all is to lose their kind of the star that was supposed to be their future to one of the legacy clubs for, for, in Madrid for absolutely nothing. Uh, now there has been a kind of a few little kind of uh, leaks and things like, or sorry, should I say, um, there's been a few uh, reports which feel like, as much as anything, an attempt to kind of drum up any sort of uh, auction. I mean, like there was that story that came out the other day that Liverpool were going to go. From what I'm told, Liverpool just, I mean, by their current market strategy, I mean, well, obviously there's great respect for Mbappe as one of the best players in the world. Um, they just they aren't going to go aren't going to those levels. I wrote on Friday that actually Mbappe, if all the English teams right now, he uh, really likes what Arteta is doing at Arsenal. But even Arsenal, I mean, at the moment for all they're kind of making these strides and they kind of are, are an upwardly mobile club again, they're not going to go to those levels again. That's outside their transfer. And it's, he's in quite a strange situation, Mbappe, in that sense, in that he's so good that he's actually he's actually his options are almost limited. You asked Dotton if that was wise for him to give that interview to France Football. I, th- I think he knew completely what he was doing there. He knew absolutely what he was doing. He was just entrenching his own position. And the the fact is, if he's to go this summer, that may what be what PSG really want. Um, now they know he's not going to sign again. Um, and now they don't believe in themselves um, to persuade him to stay over the next year. The problem is the financial burden on both him and on Real Madrid, if they're to make it happen this year, it's just intolerable. You know, what he would learn, in ter- uh, what he would lose in terms of wages and loyalty bonus, believe it or not, as well as signing on fee, if they actually have to pay PSG to acquire him, 
it's just too much and he would expect to be compensated for that so look I, I just don't see it as a goer at all what I think is quite interesting Miguel you wrote um this piece for the independent today about their um, increasing interest in Randall Colo Moani. Of course, the the pair of them have played for France together. Um, Mbappe has been asking for well over a year for another striker to play with. Now, perhaps he's not the profile that that you would have automatically assumed. You would have assumed more of a, a number nine. He unsuccessfully tried to get his mate Marcus Turan to come over to PSG um, in in the last couple of months. Who, as we said, ended up joining Inter. I mean, is this where PSG are at the moment, where they've got to plan to go forward with Mbappe, or at least the the, the, the you know below the grandstanding of Nasser Al Khalifi, they've got to plan to go forward with Mbappe because that's most likely. So they need a player who can supplement their forward line but can also play with Mbappe because him staying is the the most likely thing. But, but again, it speaks to that they just, for so long, they haven't known what they are as a football club. Mm. And, if you, and it, the amount of times this has been pointed out, there's no, there's never any change really just because of the, the, the power structure of the club. Now, it's just from speaking to someone the other day about exactly this, it was put to me actually that... In a weird way, it could work. It could play into Luis Enrique's hands if he doesn't have Mbappe, because for the first time, suddenly you have a PSG team that would be shorn of. The, I mean, bar Neymar, who I suppose is an ongoing issue in himself, um, but a, a team mostly shorn of these sort of stars and that extreme level of player of player power that has basically kind of curtailed the work of any ideology manager. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Now, Luis Enrique, he's not just an ideology manager, he's a manager very much based on kind of hard running, something that's been very difficult to implement at Paris Saint-Germain because you always, you've had to accommodate three stars in that way. It also would mean, I suppose, he'd immediately be maybe the most senior person in the dressing room because Mbappe wouldn't be there. But, it, and you know, it, it's possible that just through, I suppose, by accident almost, they stumble on what they should be for long, but at the expense of losing the player that's supposed to be kind of their symbol for the future. Well, staying in France and with another player that we've spoken about a lot, actually, in recent windows, uh, the this question comes from Oz Sweeney on Twitter. Where does Jonathan David go this summer? He's still at Lille currently, Andy, but there's a lot of interest in him. There is interest in him, Dotton. But I think when you look at the fact that um, Lille paid 25 million for him in the first place, when you look at the fact that he's had a couple of fantastic seasons at, at the club and he's been um, part of them uh, achieving far more than was what was expected of them, um, they, will, they will obviously expect a, a lot of money for him. I don't really see where the club is to pay that at the moment. I think that's a, a huge problem, really. The whole striker market is, is kind of blocked at the moment. And Mbappe is is, is part of that. Um, I, I think you look at the fact that um, Erling Haaland moved last summer as, as, as well. And with everyone waiting to see what's happening next from Saudi as well, I think no one can move for Jonathan David at the moment. Now... If a big club lose someone, I think that's that, that that's something that's possible. You know, maybe he's a candidate for a move later in the summer. For the moment, he's not going anywhere. And you look all the points in the in the chain, 
all these big strikers who are meant to be moving, none of them are going anywhere at the moment. Aussie men is far too expensive for, for anyone, really, at the moment, with Aurelio Di Laurentiis setting a price of around 180 million euros for him. Um, so a lot of the clubs, the elite clubs that would be interested in him simply can't afford him as is. He has a good relationship with Napoli and a good relationship with De Laurentiis. They're discussing the possibility of a new contract, so um, there's, there's no imminent movement there. Then you look at Harry Kane. What would be the price where Tottenham could afford to lose him to Bayern? You know, is there a bit where Bayern realise they're not getting Ozymen and they're not getting Harry Kane? Maybe then Jonathan David would be someone who would interest them. And maybe if... Randall Kolomoani gets taken off the market by PSG. Um, that's a, a, another name that Bayern have to strike a, a line through. But I think really David is the sort of player that is going to have to wait for others to move before he gets a move himself. Do you reckon that the striker block will be unblocked before the end of the summer, Miguel? Kolomoani is a big one, I would say, if he does go. And I think that um, we've, I suppose we've already spoken about it. I think that has definitely influenced Bayern's stance. Just with, I mean, but that's where the, this is so interesting because even even though this story is continuing, and I think it's very clear that I mean, Byron wouldn't be bidding for Harry Kane if they didn't think they had a chance of him wanting to go there. But when it comes right down to it, I still can't really see Kane moving. I I think his preference is to go to Manchester United, but the issue there is that Manchester United don't want to go through the whole rigmarole of a back and forth until the end of August. Um. And especially given that there's the ongoing questions about whatever about Levy selling it all, whether he'd sell to an English club, which people think no. Um, And that's one of a few complications. But then, of course, Ten Hag does really like Hoyland at Atlanta. Uh, And this is one with a few spin rates. And the one, of course, that we haven't really spoken about, who was supposed to be the big target of the summer, but has essentially been just priced out of the market, was Osman. And I think that's all the more interesting because Napoli had basically... um, they they'd accepted this reality that for a club at their stage to keep growing, you do have to kind of bite the bullet a bit and kind of let one big star go at least every few seasons, maybe not every summer, but just so then you can keep replenishing. Uh, and so they were with, like they are willing to let Osman go, but it's just at the moment it's at a price that is totally unrealistic for the market. And hence, no one is talking about Osman. Well, that's a wrap for this edition of OTC but we'll be back next Thursday with another transfer special and this time in Paris with Jonathan Johnson see you then The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big.